Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to begin with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk in just a moment. It would appear some buyers have returned to the grain complex. Look at Garrett's thoughts on what's happening there. Before segment two, we're going to check in with Eldon McAfee, attorney with Brick Gentry in Des Moines, works closely with the Iowa pork producers, and he's been analyzing that Proposition 12 decision from the Supreme Court. He'll fill us in on the impact of that. Before we get to Josh Linville here in segment three, we've seen the Mississippi River flooding impacting physical delivery of fertilizer. Josh is going to fill us in on that and what all is moving in these global fertilizer markets. Before we jump into all of that, however, let's take a look at the grain joining us now garrett toy of ag trader talk and garrett would appear that price finally got low enough yesterday to bring some buyers back in here what's the story in the grain markets well i'm not sure about that but i think that uh we're just seeing some profit taking short covering here to end the week uh you know people reducing their risk exposure from the short side uh, coming in uh, that being said, though, we did have some key areas that I were kind of that I was kind of watching. Uh, you know, December corn holding us 497 and a half level. Uh, November and, and now we're back above five dollars. So we've we've held this five dollar area. That's important for corn. Uh, and November beans, we're trying to we're trying to get back above twelve dollars in November beans. So so some stability here potentially. But um, you know, we'll see what Monday brings. It doesn't uh, necessarily. Uh, seem like it's out of the question that we don't see sellers resume. It, you look at every export tender that comes out here in corn, uh, it's going to take some, we're not finding demand yet. And, and every export tender that we see come across the table here, uh, it seems like South America is getting this, this export business. So uh, by the time we need to get some export business on the books and we need uh, you know a couple months of it to go. And, and right now I think uh, the market's looking at demand issues and, and thinking the weather is okay with how the planning has gone so far, and and uh, they're they're going to be a little bit negative here. If there's any issues for the Brazilians as they try to ship these monster crops? Well, not really. I mean, the, the the one thing that is about it is the one thing there is about it is that um, you know this this Brazilian bean crop tail is going to be relatively long, um, and uh, you know to the point where um, it's going to be in the June July. But the next uh, the next uh, 30, 45 days, we're going to start seeing some new crop corn come in um, to the point where you're actually seeing. Uh, uh, these these South American values start to firm up here just because you know that was one of the negative impacts is that the South American values are just so much cheaper than U.S. Uh, because of logistics issues, because of uh, credit issues, the farmer was selling; they don't have any place to store these crops. Um, I think we're getting to the point now where uh, the, the the back end of this bean crop is starting to, to tail off. We're worried about. Uh, Brazilian beans, you know, kind of stealing some new crop exports, but uh, they're kind of getting a little bit expensive into that September, October time frame. And we've sold some new crop cargos uh, out of the U.S. this week, so that's that's a positive sign. The one the one negative sign though is, is that this this corn crop is still uh, 
you know, they, they're still trying to move it. Um, and like I said, today we had a couple of tenders for South Korea for uh, August, September, October timeframes where uh, Brazilian corn is still a good $20 a ton discount to U.S. And that's going to be just like last year where, you know, last year our issues were freight. Expensive freight uh, made it difficult for us to ship grain uh, or to sell grain uh, during our harvest time. That's when we should be doing business. And this year, it's going to be because of this. It's going to be because of this big Brazilian crop. Well, that big Brazilian crop, Garrett, as you mentioned, we could see that long tail impacting new crop prices. I want to come back to November beans price movement this week. You mentioned we saw that pretty. Uh, Pretty impressive sell-off earlier this week. Where did we finally find a bottom in that November contract? And is there anything we can take from that? Well, um, actually, to be honest with you, November beans are, have 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 been weaker, but it's mostly been uh, in the spread. So the new crop, uh, you know, corn and soybeans, really haven't uh, haven't been as bad as uh, what the July contracts have been. Um, but we traded we traded no beans right down, and it's it's a, a round number, if you will. Uh, but eleven seventy four and a quarter, call it eleven seventy five, was our low. And we posted a doji, and, and it just seemed like uh, we had some decent buying down those levels. So that's kind of a near-term low. Um, you know, we've had such a break here over the last week, 10 days. I mean, a, a 60 cent break in, in, in no beans and, you know, eight, in eight days, essentially. It leaves very little uh, above the market as far as uh, as far as uh, resistance concerns should we come rallying back. But, um, um, you know, right now I think it's, keeping an eye on the commitment of traders report this afternoon to see what kind of uh, length the bean market still has relative to this big short in corn and wheat. Garrett, you mentioned the big break we've seen this past week. And, uh, poof, big, big dollars off. You mentioned the potential for sellers to resume next week. The, the trend still looks like it's to the downside. Would you be advising end users to step in here and try and uh, secure some at least medium-term, short-term needs? Well, I mean, from from strictly from the product side, I mean, I think the meal break has been a, a godsend for a lot of end users in here. Um, you know, and largely as far as end users are concerned on corn and soybeans, from a feed perspective, I think it's an opportunity. Um, you know, to this point, you know, especially with cattle prices where they're at, uh, still, you know, testing these recent highs, or we're back testing highs in cattle. Uh, it's an opportunity to lock in some margin here. But um, I think, you know, until something changes in here, uh, I, I think that you can be patient and, and still kind of stay hand to mouth. Uh, obviously, you can take some board coverage here, uh, some options. Obviously, they're, they're fairly cheap in here. Um, but uh, I think that you can be a patient. I think the bigger question is for the sell side. Um, you know, from a producer standpoint, um, you know, you can't really necessarily shut the barn door after the after the horses are out after this break. Um, but uh, I think you just kind of still have to kind of keep your powder dry. Um, you know, our options here are uh, out producing the bushels uh, on on, produ on uh, profitability uh, because I think a lot of areas, especially with uh, you know looking at 475 new crop corn uh, potential cash prices or even uh, you know 1150 type beans, uh, I don't think they're uh, above profitability levels for a lot of people. Garrett, how's that new crop planting look in your neck of the woods? Northern Illinois, folks been able to get in, get things seeded? Yeah, we've really had a good week here. I think most people are trying to get uh, finished up. Uh, uh, I think by Sunday we're going to be down to the short rows here, and, and everybody's going to be mostly done. Um, a lot, we've, we're very 
similar to the recent trends, especially with the state of Illinois, where uh, a lot of people like to get beans in early and then follow up with corn. But I think for the most part, uh, everyone should be wrapping up around here. All right. Continue to see progress getting this 2023 crop in the ground. Continue to watch the markets to see how things evolve. Garrett, in this next week, any big news events you're keeping an eye out for? Well, obviously, I think it's weather, and, and then um, you know this this uh, Ukraine situation seems to have have subsided. You know, we haven't really seen. We, we had the extension of the the trade deal. The market expects this to continue to you know get grain shipped out of Ukraine, regardless. So I think the market's just focusing on North American weather. North America weather. The planting progress here is in focus. We've been talking with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk, and folks, stay with us. We'll chat with Eldon McAfee of Brick Gentry here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. 
Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. With proposition now being upheld by the United States Supreme Court, I wanted to see how that decision will impact the industry. Joining me now is Eldon McAfee. He's an attorney with Brick Gentry in Des Moines. He works closely with the Iowa pork producers. And Eldon, part of the discussion around this decision is how the justices ruled. It wasn't your standard right-left decision. Is that correct? Well, there were, uh, in the end, there were five justices who of a nine court, nine member court, which is a majority that ruled uh, to affirm what the Ninth Circuit found, and that was to dismiss the lawsuit. How they got there gets a bit dicey, and uh, uh, you know we kind of got to get have to have to get in the weeds here a little bit. Uh, there were four justices led by uh, Chief Justice Roberts that clearly said. It should be sent back to the district court, not dismissed, but sent back to the California district court to do what we call a balancing test. Look at the benefits. Look at the burdens on uh, producers, et cetera. Look at the benefits uh, for in, for the state of California and determine, is this in violation of the Constitution Dormant Commerce Clause? But there were only four that got there. But on various points in the decision, uh, Gorsuch didn't have a majority and, in fact, only had a minority on several, at least one. And the very one, he only had a minority himself, Justice Thomas and Justice Barrett, that said courts aren't equipped to do this balancing test. It should be done by the legislature. Only had three justices that joined in that. So that wasn't even close. That was a minority. But then you go to the next step. And I, again, we're getting in the weeds here a little bit, so bear with me. There also, the courts have said, well, first, before you even get to do this balancing test, and, and we all do balancing tests every day in our lives, right? <laughs> you, you look at the benefit, you look at the burden when you make a decision. <laughs> Here, the first step the court said, Gorsuch said, is, well, yeah, they have to show, prove in their petition, mind you, there's not been a trial here, that there's a substantial burden uh, on producers here outside of the state of California to comply. That's before you get to the balancing test. And four justices said, hey, they haven't shown that. They've only, have, they've only shown speculative facts. And one of the key points in Justice Gorsuch's decision was that, hey, wait a minute, some producers have complied. There's evidence in the complaint and in the amicus briefs that producers are complying with Prop 12 and producing Prop 12 compliant pork. Therefore, that was a factor in the court finding there wasn't a substantial burden for justices there. And what Gorsuch has said in a footnote is you take those four uh, plus the other three and there's some duplication there, but that gets him to a majority. Uh, Justice um, Kavanaugh in his uh, dissenting opinion pointed out, now, wait a minute, you're in a minority on that first issue. It, it was this case has been described as a very fractured decision 
And I think that's accurate. No offense to the court, but it is fractured. You got to do a little adding and subtracting to figure out who's in the majority on certain issues, who's in the minority, et cetera. Eldon, if that's the case, this is a fractured decision with, as you mentioned, maybe not as clear cut a majority as it might look on the face. Does this open the possibility for future constitutional uh, complaints under Prop 12? Or have we now exhausted kind of all of our avenues through the courts on this particular law? Well, the, both the majority and, uh, dare I use that term, there, Justice uh, Gorsuch noted there are other constitutional provisions that could be used here that wouldn't rely on this discrimination principle. Justice Kavanaugh did the same thing in his dissent. And, you know, we had the, the Constitution, uh, uh, um, you know, the 200 plus year old document, um, uh, has privileges and immunities clause. Uh, and again, I keep saying without getting into the weeds and then I do that, but that clause, you know, provides that every citizen of every state gets the same privileges and immunities of every other citizen of every other state. There's the import-export clause. And, and that is always thought to be foreign imports and exports, exports, but it could be used for the states and then what we call the full faith and credit clause. That would require another lawsuit here to somehow get to the Supreme Court uh, for them to take a look at those. And they all said, not saying it would work, not saying it wouldn't, but just uh, left that door open. But I think the biggest door open we have here, two things. Uh, they, uh, they referred to, uh, hey, this, is, this balancing test should be something done by uh, the elected branch of the government, not the courts. And so, uh, and I know you just mentioned you had Senator Grassley on. I know Congress is looking at this. Can uh, Congress step in and, and adopt some type of legislation that prevents states from adopting these types of laws that will impact pork producers in other states? And believe me, it isn't just pork producers who are looking at this case. Uh, a lot of interest in this case from other segments of our economy and and I've only talked to a few of them. Attorneys are reviewing it for manufacturers, et cetera, and they're concerned about the court's analysis here as to how it might be applied in other states. One so, Eldon, point. from a layman's yeah, perspective, ahead, if I might, just so I understand what this ruling has now allowed, after the Supreme Court decision last week, now if the state of Oregon, for example, should decide that their, cons their constituents don't want any dairy sourced from a CAFO, which is currently a hot issue up in that state, they could bar that now that Prop 12 is law, right? They can make the argument. And there I go as a lawyer saying the oh, argument. Yeah. But the point, <laughs> the point the court was making here is it is clear under the Dormant Commerce Clause that you cannot benefit your in-state constituents producers to the detriment of out-of-state. You cannot benefit in-state and burden out-of-state purposely. And they said that was not an issue here. Uh, that was conceded as not being an issue in this case. So any state that tries to adopt a law that crosses that line of what we call discrimination uh, in the Dormant Commerce Clause context uh, is, is asking for trouble right away. But if they follow, follow the model, just so I understand, in California, they ceded that because it's going to be making pork more expensive in California, right? It's making their constituents' lives worse, at least when it comes to buying pork. 
And, you know, the court noted that specifically and said, wait a minute, Californians voted for it. If they end up paying more for pork, they ask for it. They voted okay. for it. So that's a factor the court didn't even want to consider. The question is, what effect does this have on people out of the state of California, livestock producers who have to remodel facilities, and consumers who may be paying more for pork? They didn't vote for Prop 12. <laughs> Californians did. And so there's a distinction the court made there. That is a really good point, Eldon. All right, so now from your perspective, working with so many producers in the in the Iowa Pork Producers Association, what comes next? I guess, A, is Iowa pork now from a non-approved facility barred in California, or when do we expect that to take place? And how are Iowa producers moving forward? By an order of the uh, California State Court in a different case brought by California grocers, restaurants, et cetera, uh, there's a stay on enforcement until July 1. So uh, by its terms, it goes into effect July 1. We're still not real clear what goes into effect July 1. Does it go into effect for any pork entering that at that time, or is it going to be for, uh, depend on when that pork was, pork was born, I'll use that term, the pigs were born that became the pork. Keep in mind, this only applies to sows in gestation. doesn't apply to finishing facilities directly anyway. So... What am I telling producers right now and others? I'm telling them, stay in touch with your uh, packer. Talk to your packer, your processor, whoever's buying your pigs, and talk with them and make sure you understand what they are going to require. I talked to a producer yesterday who had talked to his uh, packer, and his packer said, it's clear your pigs don't come anywhere near uh, California, so right now he's not being asked to do anything differently because of Prop 12. But I think the real concern, look beyond Prop 12, what I'm telling producers is what I've been telling them for a long time, stay tuned. We're a lot closer to having to deal with it, of course, but we're still getting some clarification. There is one lawsuit pending yet. Iowa Pork Producers Association actually has a lawsuit in California that makes some of these claims uh, that weren't in this case. We'll see how the Ninth Circuit, they'll rule on that in a few days as to whether that lawsuit goes forward. But Stay tuned and stay in touch with your uh, uh, with your buyer. And uh, again, what our real concern is, Mike, down the uh, we have concern with Prop 12 now. I think we can. Many producers will learn to deal with it, or at least make sure they're not on uh, selling into California. But what are other states going to do that could lead to a real mess of patchwork regulation? That is a great point, Eldon. This is step one. One state now uphold the ability to change what's sold in that state. We'll see what other states follow along. Folks, we've been talking with Eldon McAfee of Brick Gentry Law Firm in Des Moines. Works closely with the pork industry. Stay tuned. More AOA coming up right after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. At YMCA Summer Camp, kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. 
running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Most of the grains are higher today. Looks like a little position squaring and profit taken before the weekend. Soybean, soybean meal, and oil are all trading higher today with support from higher crude and a lower U.S. dollar. Argentina's Buenos Aires Grain Exchange cut their soybean forecast again by 6.7% to 21 million metric tons. Their previous estimate was 22.5. Corn is also trading higher again as December corn finds support at the $5 level. The July contract is on track to end the week with a loss, while the loss in December would only be slight at these levels. July corn struggled more than new crop this week due to poor demand news, which included a canceled Chinese sale and a bad export sales report. Now in Brazil, the upcoming corn crop does not seem to have traders concerned as futures on the Bovespa exchange continue to make new lows. Ukraine corn plantings so far in 2023 are lagging behind last year at just 3.3 million hectares versus 4.2 the previous year. And the G7 summit is occurring in Japan this week with leaders of these major economies tightening sanctions on Russia, including putting pressure on Germany to stop a surge in exports to countries surrounding Russia. The G7 summit also committed itself to supporting Taiwan, which has angered China. The West sees Taiwan's independence as a key component to the freedom of the surrounding region and for free trade through the critical South China Sea. The question going forward here is will either China or the West challenge the line in the sand in the Taiwan Straits? And what will the consequences of that be, both militarily and economically, for world trade? One thing we do know is that it's already impacting trading decisions, with China increasingly seeking alternative sources of necessary commodities as it diversifies away from the U.S. Now, that's been a part of the collapse in egg commodities, although, again, we are now seeing a pre-weekend profit-taking bounce today. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. We're going to turn our focus to fertilization. Coming up next, conversation with Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer over at StoneX. And Josh, you are in an industry that has been buffeted by global impact nonstop for the last three years, but things appear to be settling down. Fill us in on farmer progress up here on the ground. How's this season's application look so far? Actually, it looks really, really well. I mean, we're uh, in the very end of this spring season, application season, uh, everywhere except for like a little bit of the Northern Plains, who, of course, have had a really tough go of it this spring. seems like most of the season's behind us. So a lot of signs that the phosphate and the potash application was very, very good. We had a spike up in price, which is an indication that product got very tight towards the tail end of it. Obviously, uh, if you've been watching, urea prices have been spiking here recently. Demand has been high. Imports not nearly as robust as some had talked about. So signs that a really, really good spring season is uh, getting to be behind us now. All right, Josh. And now we're starting to see, as you mentioned, that price of urea down at the port of New Orleans has been moving upwards in a big way recently. And I'm hoping we can dive into that in a little bit of detail. What is the, the price movement we've seen here over the past couple of weeks on urea? So just for everybody to realize, I watch NOLA, New Orleans, Louisiana. That's the most liquid market in the U.S., so it's the easiest one to track. We had seen that price drop down all the way to $290 a short ton. Now, that was to buy a full barge sitting on the water in the Gulf of Mexico. So that was the low. We ratcheted that price all the way up to $475 a ton. Uh, just a massive increase. And what we saw was a, we had a really poor uh, anhydrous. That's one of the things that fell short. Uh, we can talk about you know what our expectations are for the spring numbers. We haven't seen the demand destruction like what we saw last year. So we had a lot of nitrogen demand flow over to urea. That was the last minute surge. Imports haven't been nearly as robust as what some people had expected. So imports aren't nearly as big. And so where we went from 290 to four, uh, 475 today, back down to 400 and falling quickly. Okay. Now that's interesting, Josh. And is this is was... Was this spike in a large part driven by some of the flowing activity and the challenges we saw on the upper Mississippi getting physical product to where it needs to go? Or, or was it a bigger issue than that? It was a bigger issue. But I can tell you, a lot of the farmers up in that Northern Plains region can probably very quickly sit there and say, I would have given my right arm to see 290. I would have given my right arm to see 475. But we are so much higher than that. And the reason was that upper Mississippi River closure. You know, it was, what, six months ago? We were talking about record low river levels and we couldn't move barges and we couldn't move product because you just you didn't have enough water to work with and we talked about how hey northern plains needs to have a really big snow event uh, a lot of snowpack in order to fill that river system they came through in a big way and all of a sudden we saw major flooding once again the locks closed down barges had to stop and that that northern plains differential to nola got extremely wide just because we shut down the most efficient logistical route to move product into the territory Josh, as you mentioned, those those imports were much lower than than some of the trade was anticipating. I know you were anticipating lower imports coming in to begin with. Those numbers, as you mentioned, go back to March. How have imports looked since then? Are we getting closer to filling our needs here as we uh, look at summer? Well, the unfortunate part is we don't know the, the true uh, government stamped import number until 60 days after the fact. So we're not going to find out the April numbers until we get to the start of next month. Uh, that's just the way that the industry works. It takes a while for that information to flow. I can tell you for March imports, uh, just to give you an, a sense of how far off it was, there were several folks looking at the world market saying there's a lot of production, there's no demand, there's a lot of product flowing around. We're just going to get inundated. We're going to see over a million tons imported in the U.S. market the month of March. 
we stay conservative and we're like, I don't see it just yet. We're going to say it's 750,000 ton, but we, we believe more of the upside of that number than the downside. When we got the final import numbers, it was only 619,000 ton, significantly less than a lot of expectations. All of a sudden, uh, it was like somebody had just sprayed jet fuel on it and away she went. Away she went. Josh, as we get out deeper into the summer, one of the interesting things that you highlighted in your most recent media update was that the price of urea has exploded, but UAN has stayed relatively flat. Does this present some opportunities to secure some fertilizer needs over the summer right now? Well, not just yet. And I'll tell you, we're saying we're, we're a little more conservative in our summer approach. We think there's still some more downside that's going to be available out there. Uh, to your point, UAE has stayed very, very uh, stable in the face of a urea price that's gone down, gone way up, and is coming back down again. And we think that's due to, uh, I think they struggle to make a lot of sales throughout the winter. There's a lot of unsold inventory that are desperate to get off their books. And this is talking about the manufacturing side. Um, you remember in the winter, a big story was how much more expensive UAM was versus urea. And I can tell you every single speaking engagement I was at, I had at least a couple farmers come up to me and say, that was a great point. I've already switched my UAN demand over to urea. So we think that they're kind of needing to play some catch up. But yeah, summertime is pointing to a lot of lower prices out there. The unfortunate part is that's probably going to be accompanied by lower corn prices, but I'm not going to act like I'm a corn guy. I'm going to, I'm going to hope for higher corn and lower fertilizer. Absolutely. Always pulling for that margin to spread a little bit wider. But Josh, I, I want to dig in on the reasons why your, your bearish fertilizer price is long term. One of the challenges I know the industry has been dealing with for the past several years has been high European natural gas prices really curtailing nitrogen fertilizer production in Europe. And it sounds like that is starting to reverse itself. Is that a fair characterization? It reversed itself in a way nobody anticipated. Uh, back in August, when Russia had uh, stopped flowing natural gas to Europe, winter was coming, uh, no idea what was going to happen. That natural gas, the, it's the Dutch TTF is what we follow. It rose to $103 an MMBTU. And we saw all but about 20, 30% of European nitrogen production shut down. And they're a big enough region that, of course, had a lot of effect on the rest of the world. And everybody's sitting there saying, there's no way we'll ever get back down, not without Russia. Today, demand is down, supplies are up, inventory levels are very, very flush. We saw June, July, August close the day yesterday, nine, just in the $9 MMBTU range. Down from 103, Josh, just to put that into perspective, a 90% decline in natural gas values in Europe. Is that right? That is correct. Whew, that is a big number. So now that we're seeing, and I know you uh, one plant at least has come back online, is the expectation that more will come back online or is the downturn in European demand this summer going to curtail production out of that continent? Well, that's the problem. It, it, we were very excited to see that one plant uh, start back up. Yara announced that over the weekend that, hey, we've started back up. We're getting back to 100% capacity. And we really hope that others will follow suit. But the problem that we have is that while this natural gas price has been going down significantly, and that's a great event to have happen, the global fertilizer market, the global nitrogen market has also been falling. So while that cost of production goes down, you might sit there and say, oh, it should be back to a price that can make money. The rest of the marketplace starts to drop. To your point, we move into the summer lows. It, it, it's chasing it on the way down, and we can't quite catch up. But we'll get there eventually, but right now it's not quite to that point. All right, Josh. Well, let's turn our focus over to the phosphate markets. DAP also getting a little bit lower here in recent weeks. What's happening in that market? Well, we're finally got most of the spring season behind us, and the market has a chance to look forward. And honestly, there's a lot of reasons to be bearish out there. Uh, the Chinese government back in the fall of 21, and keep in mind, China is the largest DAP map producer and exporter in the world. 
their government in the fall of 21 had said no more exports. Uh, we're going to keep Tums home for our farmers, keep the price low. They're finally starting to return to the market. Those restrictions are being loosened. Uh, Russia continues to export. Uh, other global producers continue to struggle to find homes. There's very little demand out there. The world's biggest buyers, number one and two in Brazil and India, are ahead of schedule on their uh, import lineup. So there's fears they won't be there. Couple all that together with the December 24 corn price that uh, can't seem to find a footing to save its life right now. And it just, it, it, everybody is trying to run out of the way. They're trying to offload their positions because they see further downside in this price. You know, uh, in the phosphate markets, in the potash markets, we've heard a lot about tariffs and the impact of global trade. Is there anything on the trade front that's really moving either of those fertilizer markets today, Josh? Well, on the phosphate side, uh, we have effectively blocked three of the biggest exporters in the world. Uh, we already had tariffs on China. Uh, that stems from a little while ago. But back in the summer of 2020, we placed uh, tariffs on Russian producers and Moroccan producer. And those rates are high enough that it makes it very, very difficult to bring product here. And if you take away that competition, the prices you know, tend to float up a little bit more than what they normally would. However, I will say today, where our phosphate prices are, we are actually one of the cheaper phosphate origins in the world. So yeah, there are difficulties, there's roadblocks, there's barriers to entry, but we are still moving with the rest of the world. All right, seeing that uh, that falling tide lower all boats. Josh, let's talk about what is happening here in the world of potash. What are you seeing there as you look around the globe? So right now, starting here at home, uh, North America, we're actually seeing prices hold very steady. Uh, in fact, towards the tail end of spring season, again, this is another reason why we think we had a fantastic spring run, is that we saw prices start to elevate towards the end of that season. We think we wiped out inventories and those few remaining buyers had to pay up to get tons coming quickly. So that was a boost. That's a win for the manufacturer, which for the farmers like, oh, okay, that's not good for me though. However, when you look around the world, there's just not a lot of demand coming. There's still a lot of production, tons are being produced every single day. The thing that really catches my attention is there is a mine up in the Columbus, Saskatchewan. It had been idle for a very long time. When the price spike started to occur, that mine came back into operation. Well, when prices started to fall, there wasn't a lot of demand. A couple uh, poor seasons in a row, they shut that down again. And while prices have jumped up a little bit, and of course, everybody's sitting there saying, oh, we believe in all the demand coming. We believe in the marketplace. There's still no plan to bring that mine back into production anytime before the second half of this year. And if the manufacturer doesn't have the confidence to restart it because they see the markets going up, I struggle to have confidence in it, too. And then, I mean, of course, you look at the corn prices, which have been taking a beating here recently. It gets harder to justify that cost. It does indeed seem those trends all point to the downside here in the world of fertilizer. We'll see if that trend can stay in place for the remainder of the summer. Folks, we have been talking today with Josh Linville, the vice president of fertilizer over at StoneX. And Josh, as always, thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hey, thanks for having me. Folks, stay with us. We'll have more show coming at you here in just a second. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. 
Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the the foundation foundation fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. The archaeological records suggest that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from 
Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Taking a quick look at the commodity markets today, we still see the green in corn and soybeans. Old, excuse me, new crop corn up nine cents, old crop up fifteen. Soybeans similar story. New crop beans up fifteen cents in the November. Old crop summer months up eleven to twelve. The rally, however, has not carried on into the wheat market. Hard red Kansas City wheat currently down three and a half cents. We've got the September contract down four, and this is on the heels of the Kansas Wheat Quality Tour coming to an end yesterday. Over the course of three days, the Kansas Wheat Quality Tour took account of many different fields across the state of Kansas, calculating how that hard red wheat is going to look when those combines start to run. They had uh, about 106 people on the tour this year, took several hundred stops in wheat fields across the state of Kansas, and they released their final totals yesterday. Heading into the winter wheat season, it was an estimated that 8.1 million acres of wheat were planted this fall. Now, since that time, that Kansas wheat crop, along with Oklahoma and Texas, have been hit by that incredible drought across the southern plains. And because of that, the council notes that the yield potential has resulted in many abandoned fields. In fact, the number of abandoned fields this year is expected to be 27% across the state of Kansas. That is a huge increase over years prior. Total results for the state of Kansas from that Kansas Wheat Quality Tour, 178 million bushels in production. Now, that counters with the USDA NAS prediction on May 1st of this month, which figured the crop to be at 191 million bushels. Now, both of them were looking at an expected statewide average yield of near 30 bushels per acre. Wheat Tour actually put it in at 30. USDA had it at 29 bushels per acre. So the difference in total production is in abandoned acres. That's what the trade will be watching for as these combines start to roll. How many more of those wheat acres aren't going to be salvaged by this increasing rainfall that has pushed across the plains in recent months. That remains to be seen. Also remaining to be seen is the broad market movement as we question whether or not the U.S. economy could be headed for a recession. As a part of that, we've been tracking quarterly earnings reports from companies connected to agriculture, had bearish reports from JBS this past week. Tyson Foods also down on the strength of cattle prices across the country. But we continue to see 
ag suppliers do very, very well. Last week, we saw Case New Holland CNH up their year-end profit expectations. Their shares went for a ride to the upside this past week. This week, it looks like it's going to be a similar story, but with green paint. Deer and Company announced earlier on Friday that they topped Wall Street profit expectations. Sales were strong, and I think especially for agriculture, Deer called out the strength in both their tractor and precision ag equipment markets as real bright spots during this past quarter. John Deere noted that their 2023 net income is expected to be in the range of nine and a quarter to nine and a half billion dollars. Last quarter, 2022, they said they expected to be between eight and three quarters and nine and a quarter. So another half a billion dollars in expected net income for John Deere this year. And they noted specifically, as I mentioned, that their production and precision ag divisions, their retail sales outpaced all other segments. Deere says those two groups saw a combined 53% jump in revenue. And this is a staggering statistic. They reported their operating profit increased 105% year year over year. And they note that 105% profit margin has been aided by a 20% hike for their equipment line. So we continue to see strong results out of John Deere. As those results were reported on Friday morning, the share price took a 16% jump higher. However, it gave most of that back as trading continued on Friday. Looking around the world at issues that could impact agriculture as we look out farther into the future, one of those long simmering topics is the United States relationship with Taiwan. And this matters for agriculture, not because Taiwan is a huge importer of agricultural goods, but because China is a huge importer of agricultural goods. And China does not believe that Taiwan is an independent country. The communist government of China views Taiwan as a part of of China. So any moves the U.S. does to recognize Taiwan as a standalone country has the potential to upset that Chinese leadership. And if they took to uh, look to uh, take their complaints into the physical world, they can always target agriculture. That's one of the few places that, uh, that China buys large amounts of goods from the U.S. Well, U.S. and Taiwan are getting closer. On Thursday, it was announced that those two countries have reached an agreement on the first part of their 21st century trade initiative. Now, it's worth noting, this is not a free trade agreement. This is another one of the frameworks that the Biden administration is pursuing. What the goal is here is to put enough of the concerns about trade between the two countries down on paper, get this initial green light to have these conversations going further, and then Catherine Tai, the U.S. Trade Representative's office announced early, excuse me, late yesterday, that now that this initial framework agreement is signed, now more complicated negotiations are going to begin on other issues. Specifically, they note agriculture will be on the focus. Digital trade, that chip manufacturing, where Taiwan is a huge global player, will, will be on the radar. And of course, labor and environmental standards. It is 2023. All of those issues will be up for discussion with these two countries. It will be interesting to see how China responds. As of yet, they have not issued any response that I have seen to the signing of this framework agreement. And another story that could be interesting to watch develop. This is an exclusive story from Reuters. They reported that out uh, this morning, and it's a lawsuit formed by three employees of the USDA, specifically these employees are workers at the Beltsville Agricultural Research Center outside Washington, D.C., and they allege that the USDA has created a hazardous work environment. They note that many of the basic systems at the Beltsville Ag Research Center haven't been updated in years. Conditions and 
maintenance facilities at the uh, facility have been worsening for years due to staff cuts and deferred maintenance, and they say it is an unsafe environment. Now, these grievances were filed on Tuesday. On Friday, it was opened up uh, for the full court, so we will see what kind of additional information and facts come out as this case moves forward. Folks, next week, I will be out of the office in the uh, next episode of AOA, so Mike Adams will be filling back in. The show's creator, former host, will be here with a lot of conversations about what's moving in agriculture. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. On the internet, there are tons of special networking websites, but one stands apart. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. Did you know in the U.S., 19 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant? If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, please visit MatchingDonors.com. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.